I have a dream. I have lots of dreams, actually. Um, But this dream is a dream that lies at the foundation of that all the others are built upon it. When I first started thinking about this, it was like, I just had this struggle in my mind. It's like, that can't can't be a dream. It doesn't sound like a good dream. But the more I thought about it, I realized that it was the dream that all dreams are really built upon and should be built upon. But you know, I'm not sure that there's too many of us that have this dream. But it's a dream that every single one of us should pursue. It's a dream that will change your life. It's it's really a dream that would revolutionize our world today. You see, I have a dream that every person who has a brain will use it to seek truth and follow it wherever it leads you. to seek truth and follow it wherever it leads you. In the American Worldview Inventory of 2020, research found that 46% of people believe moral truth is dictated by each individual, while 48% said there are moral truths that apply to all people all the time. That same research was done and repeated just a year later, so 2021, and it found this, that the 46% of people who believe that moral truth was dictated by an individual person said, or had actually jumped from 46% in one year to 54%. Interesting how things can shift so easily. There's three areas when we think about moral truth and when we think about truth in general, um, there are kind of three areas that we can fall into. Uh, The first one is a skeptic. A skeptic is someone who, who doesn't believe in a truth claim until there is sufficient evidence to support that truth claim. And then they'll, if there's enough evidence, they'll believe in it. Then there's the cynic. The cynic, no matter how, many, how much evidence there is to support a truth claim, they're never going to believe it. Like, they just refuse. And then there's the believer. The one who believes in a truth claim. So a skeptic, a cynic, and a believer. Where do we fall? The issues are across the board, right? We could come up with all kinds of topics and areas and problems and issues, and and we could put those three things to the test. But I'm more concerned about God's truth. 
I'm more concerned about where we stand with God's truth. You see, objective truth is something that is proven to be true. Subjective proof or truth is how a person sees or experiences the world. It cannot be proven. It is true for you, so it's therefore true. And then there's normative truth, which is a truth that a group says, we agree that this is a truth for us. It doesn't have to be a truth for everyone, but for us as a group, we're going to say that this is a truth for us. Over time, and even more so in the last 10 years, we've seen this idea of truth lose value very quickly. You see, truth has become more about what appeals to our emotions and our personal beliefs than it is about God's truth. Absolute truth. It's, it's kind of a, a heavy word to put in front of truth. Some people will say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. But even in their very statement, their statement falls apart. Because the immediate rebuttal to their statement is, are you absolutely sure about that? To which they can't say yes, because then they've gone against what they just said, there being no absolute truth. So that doesn't make any sense, to me anyway. If somebody is sitting in a chair, or there's a chair by someone, and they say, we don't believe in absolute truth. So ask them, when you go to sit down, are you absolutely sure that that chair is going to catch you? The argument to say that there's no such thing as an absolute truth really doesn't hold much weight to a person who thinks about it. I'm going to make a statement that I think a lot of you, maybe not all of you, will struggle with. But hear me out and listen to where I'm going, and then we might come back to that question and see how you feel about it then. So if there is no absolute moral objective truth, then what Hitler did in his culture was right. But in our culture, it's wrong. If there is no absolute truth, then the terrorists of 9-11 were in the right with what they did. Even though we say it's wrong. Stick with that for a little bit. We'll come back to that. So an absolute moral truth is God's standard. So pretty much we're looking at what does God say? What does Jesus say? Those are truths that are based out of the divine about God. And what God says, if, if it is the ultimate standard of moral truth, 
then anything that diverts from that standard is not the truth that God has said. So what do we do when God's truth conflicts with what we personally believe to be true? What then? You see, what our culture and our world has taught us is that when God's truth conflicts with what we believe, it's okay to believe what you believe because it's what you believe. Who am I to tell you what is right and wrong? You see, as Christians, we think, some of us think that God's truth is something that we can choose to believe in. That I'm going to believe in God's truth when I agree with it. But if I don't agree with it, I'm just going to act like it's not there and and go on. But see, God's truth does not change to us. We, as Christians, have to change and adapt to God's truth. Our lives are to revolve around God, not God revolve around us. Unfortunately, we see more people are motivated to create their own truth rather than search for real truth. One of to watch this video of a son is talking about his father and their relationship. And both of them are very predominant now apologists who stand up for the truth claims of God. And it wasn't always that way. But I want you to listen to the words that he says that his father tells him. Samantha. Dr. Sean McDowell is a prolific educator, speaker, author, part-time high school teacher, and associate professor in the apologetics program at Biola University. Sean, welcome to 100 on Street. Rob, thanks for having me. Treat to be here. You know, Sean, now your dad, Josh McDowell, mm-hmm. he set out to disprove Christianity, but then ended up finding its truth in Jesus Christ. Your story is a bit different. Yes. You were a Christian teenager, but then had serious doubts about Christianity. I did. So I was actually a student in the university, and I think I must have been about 19 years old. And this is mid-90s, when people are just having access to the internet kind of on a desktop computer. And I had gotten online, and I was just searching around different things and began searching kind of apologetics and evidence. And I found what was kind of the secular web, this atheist web, really began responding to my father's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, chapter by chapter. I mean, Mm. honestly, growing up, I probably kind of thought someone wasn't a Christian because they just hadn't read Evidence Demands a Verdict or more than a carpenter. Like, how hard Mm. is it? Here's the evidence. It makes sense. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I'm reading some really smart people, some doctors, some lawyers, philosophers, historians, going chapter by chapter, pushing back very thoughtfully on the arguments that my father had made. Now, Two decades later, I look back at this and I see through those arguments. But at that time, when I'm 19, I'm trying to figure out my own identity, my own world, what I believe. It was unsettling to learn. For example, one of the questions was this idea that Christianity, there's nothing unique about Christianity in the person of Jesus. 
that it's based on this copycat religions like the Da Vinci Code and Zeitgeist, and that there are these dying and rising gods long before the time of Christ. I heard that and was like, oh my goodness, what if Christianity is not true? What if Jesus isn't the unique son of God? And it wasn't just intellectual game for me. I remember lying in bed kind of feeling the weight of like, wow, if I don't embrace this faith that everyone accepts me to, this is the big change in my life. Mm. Now, those doubts obviously then led you to have this conversation, yeah. conversation with dad. I Tell did. us about that. How did that go? So my dad, I think it, many of your, your audience is familiar with my father. I mean, he's written 150 books, 27,000 lectures. He's spoken to more young people live, really defending the Christian faith than anybody in history. So I come along at 19 going, yeah, I don't know if I buy this. And I have a great relationship with my parents, but there's this dynamic like, mm. how's he going to respond? What does this mean? And we were in Breckenridge, Colorado at a, a small restaurant there. I still remember it. Asked him if we go out for coffee and there's just something I want to share with him. And we just kind of sat down. I said, Dad, I want to be honest with you. I, I'm not sure that I'm convinced Christianity is true. Not knowing what he was going to say. I'm not kidding, Rob. No hesitation. He looks at me and he goes, son, I think that's great. And I remember going, like, am I missing something? <laughs> Did you hear? I don't know that I buy this faith you've raised me in. And looking back, I don't think I rejected it. I think I was just really on shaky ground, not sure, and I was willing to commit to it and really believed it. He goes, I heard exactly what you said. He goes, look, I raised you above all else to seek and follow truth. You can't live your life on my convictions. You have to know what you believe is true and be willing to follow it. Then he gave me a couple of interesting pieces of advice. He said, don't walk away from what, what we trained you in and in the Christian truth unless you're persuaded it's false. He said, make truth the, the guiding principle of what you follow. He said, because I see a lot of kids who rebel or they give up their beliefs for different reasons. He said, only give it up if you're really persuaded it's not true. And he said something like, you know, I'm here to help you. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you want my help and you know your mom and I will love you no matter what. And it's something. Pursue the truth and take it wherever it leads you. So how could a dad who literally has wrapped his life around believing in Jesus and teaching other people about Jesus. How Josh McDowell got started in his journey of apologetics was actually he sought to disprove Christianity because he was an atheist when he was in college. And he sought out to literally disprove Christianity. And the more he studied, the more he learned that what the scriptures said were true. And so when his son comes to him and he says, I don't know if I believe what you believe, he said, okay. You need to find out if it's true for you. How do you think a father was able to tell his son that? Because he already knew what his son was going to find. 
He already knew the answers that his son was going to find. And so he had the freedom in knowing that I've raised a smart kid. He's going to do his due diligence. He's going to find the truth that I believe in as well. And he did. But he gave him room to find it. The problem is a lot of us parents say we don't want to force religion on our kid. Well, first off, it's not about religion. You're not trying to force religion on anybody because religion is worthless anyway. It's not about religion. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've taught your children and you've challenged your children in what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, then we shouldn't necessarily fear allowing them to pursue truth. The problem is, I believe a lot of us parents just say, you figure things out for you. But when they don't search, when they don't look for truth, we just, we're okay with it. We have to challenge our kids to actually use their minds to think and research. God's truth does exist. God's truth is the foundation, the the brick and mortar, the bedrock of everything our lives depend on. And the more that I make truth a pursuit of mine, the more I've come to realize that we like to add side dishes to God's truth. Let me give you some examples. Progressive truth. Traditional truth. Conservative truth. Truth, liberal truth, democratic or, or democrat Christian, a Republican Christian. And it's like there's truth. There's not truth and then a progressive side to it. There's not truth and then a, a, a traditional side to it. There's just truth. But we like to add to it and, and branch off all of these different. Ways. Because we struggle with just the truth. And so we find ways to make it more comfortable, more easy for us to swallow. But God never said it was going to be easy to follow him. God never said it was going to be easy to believe in him. Honestly, I believe it would be easier if we were all just atheists. Because then we could just do whatever we want. We wouldn't have to worry about the repercussions of it. And we could just live life and be happy all the time. But it's hard when there's a moral standard in front of us. And God asks us to pursue it. He never asks us to be perfect. He never says that you have to get it right all the time. But what he does say is that we should pursue it. 
that we should seek to live by the truth. When we, when we use words like Republican Christian or um, Democrat Christian, it, 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 these are oxymorons. <laughs> they they kind of cancel each other out. It, it's not about a being Republican and a Christian. It's about being a Christian. It, it's not about conservative and liberal. It's, it's about your faith. It's about what truth is. You see, this is what pluralistic theology looks like. There's a truth, and then we have branches off to the side, and there's opposing spectrum sides to that truth. When the truth we are dealing with does not fit how we like it, and then we attempt to mold it into our truth, it, we kind of look like little kids, um, you know, with the blocks, and, and we are trying to cram the square in the triangle. And our parents just kind of sit back and watch us. Let's see if they learn. Well, this was actually like a little gif in a video, um, but for some reason it won't play here. But she tries a few times, and then she does the most perfect thing in what we all do in life. She takes the lid off, throws the block in, and puts the lid back down. Easiest shortcut, right? Or we do this. Um, a lot of men just will do it this way. We'll make it fit. We'll just we'll cram that sucker in. But when people come and tell us that what we're doing with truth isn't really truth, we're just making kind of a side dish to it, then, then we kind of respond like adults in this manner. We either throw a fit because we don't like what someone else is saying to us, or we just close our ears and act like we don't hear anything. This literally is the definition, I believe, of a lot of people in America today. If you say anything that goes against what I believe is right for me, I don't want to hear it. Because it's right for me. But just because you think it's right for you doesn't mean it's truth. 1 John 3.18, John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John 8.31 and 32 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, to be true to following Jesus, you cannot follow with a blind allegiance. You cannot say, I believe in God, but yet have no reason to back up, no evidence to back up why and support why you believe those things. You can't say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you never read your Bible to know what Jesus actually said and how he lived. We have to pursue Jesus in our life. We have to pursue his truth. 
Jesus answered, or Jesus told the people in John 14, 6 and 7, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Are all truth claims created equal? No. Jesus didn't say that I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. He's literally the definition of truth. What he speaks is true for all people. In the Gospel of John, you'll read that John likes to write about the truth. That he likes to reference the truth a lot throughout. And in John chapter 1, where he, he's talking about Jesus, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And he's talking about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on a little farther, and then he talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And that out of his fullness, we're able to have life. I hear so many people say, well, you can't be gracious to people if you tell them the truth and it hurts them. Why? It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He wasn't half of one and kind of, you know, a third of the other. There were times where he spoke truth and there were times where he spoke out of grace. When Jesus was praying... To God the Father in heaven for his disciples, he prayed in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Scripture, your word is truth. So if there's no moral absolute truth, that means whatever is true for you is true for you. It doesn't have to be true for anyone else for it to be true. So if there's no absolute truth, that means Hitler was completely in the right to do the things he did. Does anyone in this room actually believe that? Why? Because we believe it was morally wrong. Well, upon what moral standard are we stating that that is wrong? God's standard. Well, we say that the terrorists of 9-11, that they were wrong in what they did. But if there's no moral absolute, they were perfectly justified in what they did because they believed it. But if there is a truth and we say that they are wrong in doing that, then whose standard are we holding them to? God, the one true God, not Allah God. 
Because don't make the mistake, Allah God and Yahweh God are not the same God. So many of us like to confuse that, but it's not the same God. Go read the Quran. Later in the interview that Sean McDowell is talking about, what he did was he said, I went and read secular texts. He went and read textbooks that said everything they could to say that Christianity was false. And then he went and he read the texts of Scripture, that, that the theologians that, that talk and analyze Scripture, and he looked at them and he compared them. And there was way more evidence to support what he found in Scripture than what the people who refuted and say it wasn't true. What if we all pursued truth? Here's the secret, though. If you want to pursue truth, you have to take aside all of your preconceived ideas. You have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm, I could possibly be wrong, but I'm going to go in this with an open mind, and I'm going to literally be open to what truth is. Even when I read something that came out of Jesus' mouth and I totally disagree with it, are you willing to listen to it and ask yourself the hard questions of why you struggle with it? God's truth is absolute. What if we pursued God and his truth, and that is what we thought to live our life upon? Not our standards. How would the world be different? How would your life be different? Stand with me. If you would just reach your hands out and receive this blessing. Jesus, every person here today, every person hearing this online, God, I pray that you would just release us to pursue truth and follow it wherever it leads us. God, I pray that you will help us to have an open mind to not resist things that challenge what we may personally believe. But help us to look at our lives and the things that we say that we believe. And help us to push back on ourselves and ask ourselves, why do I believe these things? May we not have a blind faith. But may we have a faith that seeks to honor you because we've sought truth with our lives. We've sought to live into what that truth means for our lives and for the people around us. Speak into our hearts, Jesus. Guide us and direct us in your path. Amen.